right, good to see everyone. Um, as Kevin shared earlier, we started a new series two weeks ago. Uh, we did an introduction uh, two weeks ago. Then last week, we covered the first four verses of this um, this book. And just so you know, uh, a preview, we're going to track through the whole entire book of First John. And so we're going to look for at every single verse and see what John is teaching us. Uh, but before we do that, I want to uh, remind us of the challenge I gave us last week. And I was challenging us as a church, as a congregation, that we will memorize the entire book. No, no, no. The, the first chapter of First John, not the entire book. I was praying and dreaming. But uh, the first chapter of First John, that there are 10 verses and every single week, if we just memorize one per week, then we will uh, get through all 10 verses and we'll memorize the entire uh, cha first chapter of First John. And so what we'll like to do is this. We're going to go to the next slide. I don't know if you've been working on it. Uh, some of us in our home group have been working on it. I kind of overheard some of your small group have been working on it. <coughs> So here's what I would like us to do. So last week, hopefully, you're working on 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. I just want to, if you remember, I want you to close your eyes. You're trying to recite it. At the best of your ability, we'll say it together. And if you have not worked on it, uh, feel free to look. Uh, it's an open book test, a freebie for you today. So we'll put it up on the screen. So on the count of three, ready? One, two, three. What was from the beginning, what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So very good. First John 1, 1. Most of you guys got it. I kind of stumbled a little bit. Uh, but uh, so each week we're going to add one more verse. So today, uh, guess what's, what's just to make sure everyone's awake. What's after 1, verse 1? Yes, we got that down. Verse 2. Good job, guys. Let's go to verse 2. So credit for Phyllis. By the way, I didn't drew, draw, I didn't draw this. Uh, since I can't draw, so I typed early in the last slide. So Phyllis drew this. And so um, I'll commit for her on her behalf to draw one every week. Um, she doesn't know that. She just found out. And so uh, well, let's read this together. First John 1, 2. This is the verse that hopefully you can work on and memorizing this week. Okay? So here, 1, 2, 3. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was from the Father and was made manifest to us. And so that's First John chapter 1, verse 2. Oh, by the way, I think that's ESV. That's ESV, sorry. Uh, we're memorizing ESV. Yes, you can memorize in this version as well. Um, so anyway, First John chapter 1, verse 2. This week, I want to encourage you, uh, type it on your phone, send a text. If you're following with us on Instagram, Facebook, they're all over. Every single day, I'm popping those verses in for you to review, okay? So hopefully, we at the end of 10 weeks, we can recite the entire chapter together and hiding God's word in our hearts. Okay, today we're going to continue on in 1 John. We finished verse 4. We're going to pick up in verse 5. But if you look at your notes, I have a quote there as my title. It says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? I think most of us know where that came from. Where? Snow White, right? So we all kind of know that evil stepmother, evil queen, uh, for the longest time, love it when the mirror was telling her that she was the most beautiful, only to find out later on there's someone else named who? Snow White, who was much more beautiful than her. And then she got what? Really happy? No, she got really angry and jealous. Now, here's the reason why I put that on today, because I think uh, there's something about mirror which is both good and also difficult. A mirror never lies. In the morning when you have really bad hair, you look at the mirror, or some of you girls don't have makeup on, I'm sure you look just as nice with makeup on too. But uh, maybe you woke up, you're like, have, have these uh, dent on your face. The mirror never lies. always tells the truth. And one look at it, whether you like it or not, your wrinkles, your wart, uh, your pimple, bedhead, whatever it is, you see it all on the mirror. Now, if it's beautiful, we will be like the evil queen and say, oh, it's great. It's awesome mirror. But when it is not, we have several options. <coughs> One is we can just pretend we saw, look at the wrong thing and just walk away, assuming that that was a wrong mirror. Or we can walk away thinking disappointed. It's like, how can I look like that and not do anything about it? Or the third option is we can actually do something about it. And today... John, the Apostle John, takes us to through chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 5. He's going to bring the mirror to your face and my face today. Except this mirror is truer than any other mirror. Because this mirror he's going to point at your face and my face, your heart and my heart, is God himself. 
Last week, we talked about from chapter 1, 1 through 4, that the main message of this letter is to show the people in the churches that Jesus Christ is eternal life. He's trying to introduce to them not just a bunch of behaviors, a bunch of doctrines, but Jesus Christ himself. When you have Christ, you have life. When you don't have Christ, you don't have eternal life. And so he's going to bring that mirror of who God is, who he said, explain more who God is, particularly who Jesus Christ is, and put that mirror right on your face and my face. And now you and I get an option of to do one of one of two things. One is we can either deny it, pretend that it was not real, or we can do something about it. But here's the thing. Whatever you do as you look and understand who God is in relationship to your life, that is gonna do uh, that's gonna either reveal to you whether you're a Christian or not, or it's gonna show it's gonna motivate you as a Christian. So whatever we're gonna look at today about God being the light of the world. Him, Jesus Christ being the light in our lives, in this world, is going to show you whether you really believe in Christ or not. So John's going to show us a couple of tests that, that will show us whether we are really a Christian or not. And if we, were, if we are a Christian, these truths will motivate us to live a better, more Christ-like life. So it can either deter you, make you sad, or it can motivate you. But these are going to be the tests that we will see from John. <coughs> so if you have your Bible with you, can you please turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. I'm going to read from verse 5 right here. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. From verse 5 on all the way to chapter 3, verse 10, it will be all about God being light. And then from chapter 3, verse 11 on, he's going to talk about God is love. That we're called to love one another. So those are the kind of big chunks you're going to want to keep in mind as we're reading and teaching through First John. The first chunk is about God is light. And we're going to dive into what does it mean for that God is light today and also how does it affect us when we look at the mirror that God is light. And then we're going to go through that for a couple of weeks. Then we'll go to chapter 3, verse 11. We're talking about God is love. And how does that matter for you? And if God is love, then what should that propel us to do and compel us to live? And so today we'll focus on God is light. So what does it mean that God is light? There are many, many verses in the Bible that talks about God is light. It's one of the most used uh, analogy illustrations to describe who God is and what he does. And I want to focus on two things here. The first one is this. God is light means that he is perfectly good, holy, and righteous. He is perfectly. Another way you, can, you want to shorthand for perfectly is 100%. He's 100% good, 100% pure, 100% righteous. There is no, it says absolutely, I love this translation, absolutely no darkness. It's not 99.99999% and a little bit of darkness. It's all good all the time. 100% light, 100, uh, 0% darkness. In, in Ephesians chapter 5, here's what it says. Here's one use of, of, the, of many of the passages to describe God's character and how he di distinguished darkness as evil and light as good. Verse 8, Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. You see, the light is about goodness, righteousness, and truth. Verse 10, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. So there is nothing that is uh, that is uh, everything that's evil is likened to be darkness. Everything that is good is likened to be light. Uh, can you show the next picture? Uh, many of you know I am a fanatic. Uh, would be an understatement about coffee. We love coffee. Our family loves coffee, and our we teach our kids to make sure they love coffee. Uh, if you don't, if, so we buy beans every single week. We subscribe to them. Uh, if you are familiar or heard of this, uh, there is this really well-known, famous bean called Kona coffee, and they're expensive because they're only grown in uh, the Big Island in uh, a, a place called Kona, and they're super expensive. And the best type of those beans is called pea berry. So it says pea berry, and you want to get 100% Kona coffee. The reason why pea berry is so special is because those are special beans. Those beans are two flowers kind of melt together. So imagine two coffee beans combined together, 
They're double the strength, double the aroma, double the taste, but in that small little bean. And what they do is they will go through a bag, tons of beans, and pick out only those tiny little pea berries, and they will sell it. With that amount of labor, and only 5% of uh, average crop is pea berry. So you go, that means if you go through um, 100 coffee beans, only five of those will be pea berry. Now you can imagine how expensive that is. That's usually a pound, uh, uh, every six ounce of pea berry beans will cost about $30. You're like, six ounce, that doesn't make any sense, doesn't make connect with me. Six ounce means you drink about two cups of coffee, that costs about $30. So it's more expensive, way more expensive to, than, uh, than Starbucks. That's about $15 a cup of coffee. And the reason why is because they're so rare, they're so good, right? But if you go to Kona, here's the problem. There will be everywhere, if you go to market, it will say 100% Kona. They're all 100% Kona. The only problem is they're not 100% Kona pea berry. So they would go 100% Kona blend. Maybe they will have five pea berry in there with 95 other beans that are just regular old coffee beans. And they would say 100% Kona blend. And if you're not careful, what happened is you're going to look at, oh, it's 100%. Oh, such a good deal, 10 bucks per, per pound. I'm going to buy all that for souvenirs. But what you didn't realize is that they are kind of tricking you saying, yeah, it's 100%. Whatever we put in there is 100% Kona, but they're not 100% Kona pea berry. And if you just kind of not pay attention, don't know what they're talking about, you're going to take it and go home and like, man, Ben is overselling, overhyping these pea berry beans. They're no good. They're just like what I got at home. But if you have tried a real legitimate pea berry, you will know the difference. See, I, I share this is because God is 100%. There's not a little bit. There's no, 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 no trick of hands. There's no deceit, deceit from God that's, I'm just... As much, I'm just 99% of life. He's 100%, just like the real legitimate pea berry beans. They're 100%, all of it, every single one of it. And this is important because later on, what we see later on and in, in the way it affects we live is if God is 100% light, what do you think he's going to produce? What do you think he's going to create for his own people? He's going to create and, 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 and raise for himself a 100% people who are light. Not darkness. That's why God doesn't like sin. Because he cannot tolerate sin. He's 100% like, he doesn't like any darkness. And he's going to produce a people, hopefully, that doesn't want any darkness either. Because it makes no sense that a person, a God who loves 100% light, will tolerate 1% darkness in us. And that will become a motivation for us to strive to live a Christ-like life. So that's the first way that light is being used, being perfectly good, 100% pure, righteous of who God is. Here's the second way light is being used. God is light also refers to God being the source of life. The source of life. He's the source of all life. You go to Genesis chapter 1. We all kind of hear that story, six days of creation, one day rest, right? When the first thing God created, it says, let there be what? Light. Why do you think we need light? Think about physical, think about biology. Without light, plants can't grow. Without light, human being cannot survive. Physically speaking, light is so important. But beyond just physically, metaphorically, even in our spiritual life, without God, there is no life. We talked about that last week. Without Jesus, you can't have any life. And God is the light, meaning that he is the ultimate. He is the source of life. For There is no accident. The same author who penned First John also write, bring up from the very get-go in his gospel of John the very same thing. If you go to John chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, here's what it says. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and all things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. If you go further down in that chapter, in that chapter it talks about how the world pushed against this light. Darkness does not want to do with light. Just like if you woke up, you, you hate it when your siblings, your family, or your parents sometimes, you're sleeping at, in your room, dark room, they kick the door down and come in, light comes in. We all don't like that light coming into our eyes, right? 
And darkness push against that light. And that's what we do by nature. That's what we do. And that's why God said, I need to come to the world to show the darkness, give you real life so that you will no longer live in darkness. Now, that's what God is. That's what God, God is, is, is light. He is both the source of our lives and he's also 100% good, holy, and righteous. But then if you follow along in from chapter 1, verse 5 on, from chap, uh, chapter 1, verse 6 on, the word darkness and sin was used over 11 times. The word darkness is a sin nine times, darkness twice. The reason why John is pointing to us about, revealing to us why God is like, of all things he can talk about, the reason why he showed that God is like to us is because there are simply darkness and sin in your life and in my life. And what we do with those sins it's going to tell you whether you are a Christian or not. What we do, how we approach those sins is going to be determinative of your faith in Christ or not. The realities of all of us will sin, as we will see later, is what we do with those sins is going to determine and test and reveal whether you believe in God really or you don't really believe in Jesus Christ. Whether you have eternal life or you don't have eternal life. So John is going to go on. It's going to give us six different signs. It's going to go like this. It's going to go negative, positive, negative, positive, negative, positive. Each one of those starts with the word if. He's going to say, if we, if, if we say this, da, 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 it'll be a negative. And he'll go, if you do this, that'll be a positive. And for the, for the sake of clarity and communication, I kind of bend them together. We're going to talk about all three of the negatives. Then we're going to talk about all three of the positives. Okay, so let me let me let me start with the negative. There are three things that three tests, three signs that will show you that you don't really know God if you do these things. If you see sin in these lights, if it's in this view, you do not really know God. That it doesn't matter if you're going to church, it doesn't matter you how long you think you've been Christian for a long time, it would not matter if you have these views and these relationship with sin. Here's the first sign. The first sign that you don't really know God is if you rationalize sin. If you make an excuse for your sin, if your life doesn't really match up with your faith, that you are saying, I'm a Christian, but your life looks nothing like a Christian. If you find reasons to sin all the time, you're rationalizing it. There's an explanation for every single sin that you've done. Follow along in chapter 1, verse, verse 6. <clears throat> if we say we have fellowship with him, yet we walk in darkness, we're lying and are not practicing the truth. There are people during John's time were saying that, oh, we have fellowship with God. We believe in Jesus. But then they are hypocritical that their life looks nothing like a Christian, look nothing like Christ. They say, oh, I believe in Jesus. That's good enough. But my life looks nothing like it. And that's what, that's what John is pinpointing. If you are that person, your faith is not real. You don't really know God. Just like water and oil can't mix together. Like you can whip it as fast as you can, water and oil. After a while, it will separate. You can say all you want. You can show up every single where and say, put Christian stickers on your body, on your car. Say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. But if your life doesn't show that, it doesn't matter what you say. Because your life is expression of your faith or lack thereof. One of the ways that we like to lie to ourselves about our sin is that we kind of relabel it. We, we rationalize it. Because we think somehow if we put a new name on it, we will feel differently about these sins. For example, if we're lazy, we just call it what? Lack of motivation. Right? If, if we plagiarize, we just call it sampling. Right? It, 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 instead of prostitution, we call it sex care provider. Instead of pornography, we call it swimsuit addition. If we use foul language, we just said a slip of a tongue. I didn't merely mean it. Abortion, we call it pro-choice. You can go on addiction, we call it disorder. Whatever that you, every sin that we have, we have a better term. Because if we call it a different name, somehow we think that is less offensive to God and to other people. It will ease some of our our, our, our guilt, if you can say that. But we all know if a skunk, doesn't matter what you use on the skunk, when it sprays, it still stinks. 
It does not matter how how many clean clothes you put on. If you're dirty, you still smell. And that's the thing. If you call yourself a Christian, if you think of yourself a Christian, and yet you see your life is so consistently against what God is teaching, I would encourage you to think carefully, to think, is, is my faith real? Because John said, if you say one thing but do another, maybe your faith, you don't really know God. So that's the first sign. Here's the second one. You skip down one verse to verse 8. He gives us a second sign that you don't really know God if you deny your sinfulness. If you are unaware that you are sinful by nature. That you are sinful from within. That sin is not just an act. That is part of who you are. If you are unaware of that, if you're not convinced of that, Perhaps you don't really know God as much as you think you do. Verse 6 says this. <clears throat> if we say we have no sin. Another group here say, oh, we have no sin in us. We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, our world operates on this assumption. Many of us in this world operate on the assumption that we are born good. We're all good people at the end of the day. But that is so far off from what the scripture tells us. And I know it sounds so bad. Right? I mean, we live in a world like, you're okay, I'm okay, we're all okay. But yes, scripture is unapologetically saying that all of us, including me here, are born with a sinful nature. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says this, There is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. Romans chapter 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, thank you, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, all alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. It is not only Paul's time that there is no one righteous. It is no one righteous today, and I will tell you until Jesus comes back, there will no one, there will never be someone who is perfect and never sins. And no matter how we preach that to one another in this world, we are all sinners by nature. Let me put, put that into the mirror of God. If God is 100% light, 0% darkness, or the exact opposite, we are 100% darkness and 0% light. On our own. Because our experiences tells us that. Like you and I, if we're honest, our experience, our thoughts, judges even our own intent sometimes. We know that we're messed up people. But you see, on our own, even our experience tells us that we will still say, no, we're not that bad. Because that is the sinful nature of us. We just hide that. We blind our eyes to that. I heard this illustration once. I thought it was really helpful. Uh, the pastor was saying that a dog is not a dog because it barks. Like just because it barks doesn't make that a dog. Just like a sinner is not a sinner just because he sins. See, many times that's what you and I think. We think, oh, I'm a sinner now because I sin. It's actually the other way around. You and I sin because we're sinners. Like that's what we do. We sin because we're sinners. sinner. That is who I am as a person without Jesus. Therefore, I will sin against people. You might be thinking, oh, I get in the wrong crowd. Maybe these people influence me. But in reality, the reason why you want to go to the wrong crowd in the first place is because there's, you're a sinner. You love that sin. Kind of like what Vincent shared early on in, 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 the, in our service, that passage from Psalm 130. We are all sinners. Who can keep count of it? See, we are sinners. We All we do is just sin. And if you do not feel convicted that you are a sinner by nature? And I want to encourage you, that might be a sign that you don't really know God. Because naturally, we want to want to preserve ourselves and call ourselves not a sinner. I like this quote by, by John Stott. A well-known theologian from the past, he says, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Like you will never, we will never see the gospel as a need until we realize that we're the problem in the first place. 
There's no need. There are some of you sitting here wondering why do I need to come to church. There's a reason why you, 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 there's no need for you for Jesus because you never thought you'd done anything wrong. And if that's the case that Jesus through uh, the Apostle John is saying that, you might not know God. Here's a third sign. Jump down two verses. Remember, negative, positive, negative, positive. Now we go to negative again in, 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 in verse 10. Very similar to verse 8. The third sign that you don't really know God is that if you ignore your sins. If you shift your blame of sin to other people. If every time when you realize you've sinned, your finger is never pointing at yourself, but always pointing at somebody else. You ignore your sin. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. And his work and his word is not in us. The second sign is to do with who we are identity-wise. This sign is talks about what we do. Because potentially there's a way for you to feel like, yes, I'm a sinner. But the reason why I sin is because people made me. Because my upbringing, because my circumstances, there are other people are, are influencing me. And every time we think of that, uh, we realize that we're a sinner. But even though when we say we say not, that's not my fault. If my parents raise me a better way, if my parents are, are nicer to me, if people don't talk to me that way, if, I, if these shows doesn't show up, all the blame is always on others instead of on us. And John said that we make God to be a liar. And his word is not in us. If you've never, if you consistently think that your sin is about other people's fault, maybe you don't know God as much as you do. One of the questions I like, I like to ask younger kids a lot when I share the gospel with them to kind of test to see if they get what does it mean to have Jesus in their lives. One question I ask them a lot is this. I always ask them after I share the gospel with them, who is the worst person in your family? Now, most of them, their answer is, my mom, my dad, not in that order, <laughs> my siblings, my dog. See, many of the times, they will answer that because they don't grasp that they are the one who is a sinner. But occasionally, when a kid really gets the gospel, they will say, me. Not me, that person. That's when I know that that person really understood the gospel. And I have seen kids as young as six, seven years old who gave the answer saying, me. And to, to you and I, it might seem like a very simple answer. Yeah, like, I know I'm a sinner. But how many of us actually believe that we have sinned against people and we've sinned against God? It's one of the most fundamental truths about us. And yet it's the hardest truth for us to take. And that's why John said, if you don't know that you're a sinner, if you don't know you have sinned against God, you don't sin against people, maybe you don't really know God. Which then leads us to the three possibilities. How do we know I actually know God? How do I know that I have eternal life? How do I know that my faith is real and legitimate in Jesus Christ? And then he gave us three signs. Here's the first one. And back, if you run back to verse 7, the first sign that you know God is that if you are in the habit of resisting sin, you are making it a habit. You are committing yourself consistently to fight against sin. That is not to say that you never sin, but that you are making a commitment and effort to fight, to push back against sin tirelessly. Verse 7. <clears throat> if we walk in the light as he himself is the light, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Here, John gave us this picture of walking. You know what's walking? Most of you guys do walking, but you, most of us don't think about walking. Walking is not just taking one step and stop. And then take another step five hours later. That is just called moving. Slowly. What you do walking is you just take one step after another step and another step and another step and another step until you get to the destination. It is a consistent act consistent steps consistent um, movements and that's what john is getting at here that he is not saying that you need to be perfected and no have no sin what ultimately matters is your progress more than your uh, perfection 
that you're progress, you're progressing toward Christ, toward what is good, toward what is Christ-like. In this world, you will never be perfect. I would never be perfect. But the sign that you are a legitimate believer, the sign that you have real faith in Jesus, is that you're committing yourself. You are making a decision to go again, to fight against sin, even though you know it's hard, even though you know that it's impossible on your own. But you're committing yourself because you have Christ. You know that the, the Christ is in, Jesus Christ who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And if you find yourself doing that, that's how you know. There will be some defeats. There will be some victories. But you're going to keep at it and at it and at it. And one of the ways we make a habit out of that is that we need to commit ourselves ahead of time before sin shows up. So I'll use my wife as an example. Uh, a while back, she was <clears throat> she was uh, using uh, Weight Watcher. Um, and so one of the things that I find really interesting about that program is they get to keep a, 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 a amount of points. So the way you you keep your diet uh, in, with, in in check is that there's, uh, I think, 30, 28 points that you are supposed to eat. And every food item is a, uh, has a value of points. And so basically what you're doing through that program is you're committing that every day you only get to eat 28 points worth of food. So you make that commitment. And then whatever you do, let's say in the morning you're like, man, I just want to binge eat. You ate 28 points already for your breakfast. You got a, you got a breakfast burrito with tater tots, french fries, with some gravy on top. Boom, 28 points. But then she, you already made a commitment that the rest of the day you cannot eat more than 28 points. So what happened is the rest of the day you don't get to eat.
You're calling just as what God would call it. And that is hard. That it goes against every fiber of my being. But Jesus, through John, says this. If you want to confront your sin, if you are my believer, you need to confess. You need to call it what it is. If it is sin, call it sin. Because when you do that, John points us to who God is. He says, God is faithful and righteous. He's just. He will forgive your sin. And he will not only forgive your sins, he will cleanse you. He will wash over your sins again to help you to restore you to live the life that you're meant to live. Confessing is hard. Let me share with you this past week as I was working through this message. I have a first-hand account of this. Uh, earlier this week, I was working with one of my sons on homework. And I think I was just so frustrated and so impatient that my anger got the best of me. And I was just yelling and saying things to him that I know in my heart at the time it was wrong. It was not building him up. It was mean. But those words just roll out of my tongue like there's nothing. And when that's all over, I just pretend nothing happened. But in that night when I was going to sleep and I was just trying to, at the end of the night, I, I know that that was not right. But God brought in a verse to me in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3. It says, don't stir up anger in your children. Don't exasperate your children. And so much of me felt like, man, that my son is deserving of that. He could do better. I'm just trying to help. I'm rationalizing everything I could to make it sound like I'm a good father. But in, the, in my heart, I knew God was putting a finger and said, no, Ben, you sin. You sin against your son. You sin against me. What you did was wrong. And so that night, I just didn't have good sleep. I just knew that God was convicting my heart. And you know what happened the next day? God has a way of if you, and I knew that I needed to repent, but there's so much of me don't want to. But next morning when I woke up, when I do my Bible reading, God brought me to Luke chapter 5. And you don't need to turn there. Most of you already don't remember, but some of you guys know that in our home group, <clears throat> it was the story of the leper, of Jesus healing the leper. And you know what Jesus did? When he healed the leper, he didn't have to, but he touched. He touched the leper. You know what a leper is? Someone have skin disease. No one wanted to touch them. But Jesus, he could have just said be healed and that person would have been healed. But Jesus touched. Touched that person. And showed kindness and gentleness. That morning I walked away reading passage. I knew that I needed to confess that sin. I knew that what I did was wrong. And then as I was, I still was not ready to confess my sin, calling what is. I was still struggling with it. And, and, and so later on when I was working on my message about, haha, about sin, God brought me to a passage that I wasn't looking for about sin. From Proverbs 29, 11, he says this, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise person holds it in check. When I was there, I, I turned there. I just look at that verse and just stare in that verse. I said, God, how am I going to preach this message right here if I don't deal with my own sin? So then I confess my sin to the Lord. I call it what it is. It's called anger. It's called lack of love. And I thought by that time, man, like, God, aren't you proud of me? I finally confess. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, no, Ben, that's not enough. You didn't just sin against me. You sinned against your son. So then that, that night, when I got a chance, I talked to my son. I said, hey, buddy, come here. Daddy did something bad. Daddy sinned against God. Daddy sinned against you. Those words should never come out of my mouth. You meant so much more to God than what daddy has said to you. So I confessed to him. I said, buddy, would you forgive daddy? And I talked to him and I asked him, would you forgive me? Because I've sinned against you, buddy. And I know that's not what I should do, but I confess to God. But now I need to confess to you. And so I talked to him and he said, yes, dad, I'll forgive you. And then we hugged. And then the next morning, God has a way of really restoring people. Next morning, you go to the next slide. 
I look up on my Instagram, the first post that morning, I subscribe to this group called Parent Q. It's a Christian group talking about parenting. That's the first post I saw in the morning. Your perfect father freely offers grace and forgiveness for every single parenting mistakes you have ever made or will make. See, God always knows. God doesn't need us to be perfect, but God does need us to call black, black, and call darkness, darkness, and confess our sins to him. And 1 John 1, 9 says he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, that's what being a Christian means, is not being perfect. And I'm not proud of sharing that story with you. I wish I don't have to share this story with you. I feel bad about what, just, what happened earlier this week. And yet, God used the ugliest moment of my life this past week and restored me back to have intimacy and love and forgiveness with God. And if you are a believer today, that's what God is trying to do. Here's the last one. Last sign. Let me quickly go over that. Because of time, the third sign is this. Now, you know, you know who, God, who God is, is when you have confidence in Christ's blood over your sin. When you have confidence that you are no longer shameful in coming before the Father and say, God, I need your help. I need your son's blood to wash away my sin one more time. That guilt and shame won't grip you anymore and say, I cannot stand before God. You know you're a Christ. You're, you know you're God's children. When you can stand before knowing that you don't deserve it, but yet you have confidence you can because of what Christ has done on the cross. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. My little children. By the way, this is an extremely endearing term that John is using. This is not out of a heart of rebuke, like a harshness. It is out of a heart of love. He's saying to these people, these people at church, that I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Here's two words I want you to circle, mark up, put it in your mind. Here's the first word, advocate. Advocate is a lawyer. That's what an advocate is argue for you. But in a regular, in a regular uh, court, what it does is a lawyer argue for your innocence. You are presumed innocence. But here's the problem. You and I are not innocent. So what is Jesus arguing for? He cannot say, Ben is so innocent. He really didn't mean what he said to his son. No, I meant what I said to my son. There's no innocence for the lawyer, for the best of lawyer to argue. So what is Jesus arguing? Here's the second word that tells us what he's arguing. He's arguing for his atoning sacrifice. The atoning sacrifice is not a word we use. In our translation, have the more difficult word, propitiation. What atoning sacrifices, I want to imagine Old Testament. Every year, they offer these sacrifices, animal sacrifice. The best word to, 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 to understand atoning sacrifice is satisfaction. That God has this just wrath against sin because it's 100% light, 0% darkness. He had this wrath to consume him against darkness and sin. And that sin needed to be paid for. And what the Old Testament time did is they offered these animals for sacrifice every year but now jesus becoming the ultimate sacrifice and said i'm going to send my own life to die on the cross so that now your sin are paid for in full completely from now to eternity so god's wrath against sin is being satisfied paid for and now we get to receive the benefit of that satisfaction of wrath we get to be the children of We get to have the love of God. We get to have the eternal life today, anytime we want to. Tonight, when you go to sleep, when something is stirring in your heart, you're fearful of, you get to approach God tonight and pray to Him. That's what God has given us in exchange. That's what the atoning sacrifice has accomplished. And here's the thing. If you want to know if you're a believer, if you want to know if Christ is real in your life, you need to ask yourself, do you have that confidence before the Lord? What he has accomplished, does, do you have real faith and confidence that what he did is enough? That it does not depend on how you feel about yourself, how depressed, how, how sad you think about yourself. You're thinking, you're believing that what Jesus has done is completely enough. 
even though I am the worst person in the world, what Jesus has accomplished is enough for me to stand before God. And if you do, if you're willing to, that means you're a believer. I want to give us some homework on the way in. You guys all have a little booklet. It's called My Christ, My Heart Christ Home. Here's, I want to give you a little homework. I don't know if all of you guys are believers who claim to be, who profess to be, but regardless if you're a believer or not, I want you to give you three things to do. Here's the first thing. Read this little booklet. Read it. This little book is really short. Here's the second one. I want you to assess. When you read it, you know what it means when I say this. Assess the rooms of your life. Check it. Go through every room of your heart and say, God, I want you to shine your light on me. Put that spotlight, put that black light on me. Whatever nasty stuff that can show up, put that black light on me. And here's the third one. And if you do the first two, then I will guarantee you, you will need the last one. And for some of us who are not a believer here today, it might move you to want to put your faith in Jesus. I want to encourage you. Pray to him. Confess to him your sin and receive him as your personal Lord and Savior. But be oh, one step further. I want to call you to tell someone about it. We will love to come alongside and help you. We will love for, for you to grow if you put your faith in Jesus. So make sure you tell someone about it. Tell me about it. Tell one of the small group leaders. Anyone in this church or believer would love to help you. So those three things to, for you to do. I want to end on this, We're gonna, and then we'll end our service. Here's a, here's a, here's a song I want to share with you. 1863, a, a, a gal named Chris um, Chastity Lee Smith wrote a song before the throne of God above. But originally, she did not title that before the throne of God above. It's a well-known hymn. Originally, she named it The Advocate. And I just want to read the lyrics for you because I think it summarized best what we talked about today. Let's read it. Let me read it for you. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me fancy part. No tongue can tell me to get out of heaven. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sins. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied, the atoning sacrifice. He to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, look at him, treasure him. The risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am, king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ, my Savior and my God. With Christ, my Savior and my God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this time. God, I just pray that your word today will do a, it will do a number in our hearts today. That as we think about what you have shared with us through your word, God, would you humble us? Would you break us down? Chisel any pride, any callousness in our hearts. And God, I pray that you revive any lost faith, any deadened faith. Perhaps you need to give, some, give faith to some who have yet to have faith in you. So, God, would you accomplish that today? We're thankful for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, I want to thank you for coming to FCBC SGB to worship with us. Um, so, in...
youth group starting this coming Friday, uh, we'll be starting to talk about college prep. So it's never too late to prepare spiritually, academically, and mentally. So like come every Friday if you're interested in going to college and learn about how you can best prepare yourself to the, for the next chapter of your life. And then we'll have a 10th anniversary meal ticket. And we are celebrating our 10th anniversary on March 10th. And we'll be having dinner together after our combined service in the sanctuary. So if you are youth, please uh, purchase your ticket with your parents. But if your parents don't come, please um, uh, purchase through Ben. Um, the price will be on... Right. Yeah, so uh, I'll just say it. Age 0 to 3 is free. Age 4 uh, four to 5th grade is $2. And then uh, 6 to 12th grade is $5. And if you're an adult, please pay $10. Um, and then there are an end-of-year donation statement for uh, finances for tax return. So if you are a um, regular donor for our offering, we will... Uh, pass this out for you so that uh, it will give it will put your uh, information down for a tax return for the coming year. So we'll pass this around. Oh, come on, let me get it. And then let us stand and recite the Great Commission together. Again, starting with the reference, Matthew 28. Okay. One, two, three. Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I will be, I will be always to the end of the age. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we want to thank you that we can dwell in your, in your presence together. And would you seal the things that you put in our hearts, whether through the songs, through prayer, and through the word. And God, would you send us out as light unto the world this week? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, thank you for worshiping with us today.